All right. Welcome to episode 90 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Mohamedou Aloud Salahi, is a Mauritanian man who was detained at Guantanamo Bay detention camp without charge from 2002 until his release on October 17, 2016. Salahi wrote a memoir in 2005 while imprisoned, which the U.S. government declassified in 2012. His memoir, titled The Guantanamo Diary, was later published in 2015, and the new movie, The Mauritanian, which is out now, is based on the events of that time, his memoir, and his experience. Welcome, Mohamedou. Thank you for having me in See the Moment, and I'm so happy to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming on, Mohamed. And we want to first say, before we even get into the questions, what an honor it is to meet you and speak with you. Your experience is quite possibly one of the most amazing and sort of tragic things I've ever, or we've ever heard. Uh, thank you so much. And I really don't know how to judge that because I only know mine. Yeah. And so, Mohammed, our first question is going to be, who were you before you became, you know, the kind of quote-unquote Mauritanian? Who was Mohammed before all of this happened? So, you know, I was born in the south of the country, 1970, mm -hmm. to a very poor family. You know, we was, my father is a colonel holder, and my mother stayed at home. You know, as per traditional rule. And so after successive you know, years of droughts, we lost almost all of our camels and other animals that we had. And we moved like to the vicinity of the city of Rosso. And I remember in my childhood, I could remember this day you know, when I went to school, and I was without shoes, you know, and I remember like going from one structure to the next to cool down my feet. And I remember our neighbor who was uh, doing much better than us, you know, they just come for vacation. She uh, called me and she scolded me why I didn't, you know, uh, put on my shoes, you know, assuming that I had shoes, but I didn't have shoes because we were too poor to buy shoes. And I was standing in front of her, listening to her very long, you know, painful lecture while my feet were pinned to the ground. And I was just waiting on her to finish. Then I pretended I'm going back to collect my shoes, but instead I wouldn't meet anyone to scold me for not having my feet. My father died when I was when I fi finished third grade and we moved to no action. When I finished high school, I won a scholarship. Everything to me was school. I loved school even though my parents didn't care so much. They never asked me whether I passed or not. They never asked me what my grades were. They never talked to any of my teachers. You know, it was like a secret life of mine, you know? And uh, I won this scholarship, very prestigious scholarship in Germany. 
you know, and I went there, studied, and I did what my contemporary did, like going to demonstration for Palestine and Afghanistan, you know, just hoping for better lives in our part of the world. So when I was very young, it was very sexy to go to Afghanistan, visit Afghanistan. And this is not a Muslim thing, like a lot of German young people, they went there, French people. Mm. And, and it was like sanctioned by the government and by the United States of America, by the way. Yeah. I went there, I didn't like it. My whole time in Afghanistan was like two, uh, between two or five months. I went twice. And that resumed my uh, life. And, but a very faithful phone call I received from my cousin who then lived in Sudan in, this in early 99 or late 98. I received this phone call from my cousin and he wanted me to help him. It was like, just like a family. He and he wanted me to help him wire some money to his father, which I did. What I didn't know that there were other people listening to this call, i.e. the United States of America, you know, mm. intelligence service. They were listening to it because it belonged, the line belonged to the late Osama bin Laden, and my cousin was a friend of Osama bin Laden. Mm. There was nothing to the call, like, obviously, I would there was anything to the call. So. And, but it was enough to destroy my life. So they like the, they put one and one together and said, this guy is a bad guy. He, has, he knows bad people. And my life went downhill from that. And it was, it seemed like it was guilty by association without any particular evidence. And so can you take us back to the time where, um, where you initially were taken? Can you take us initially back to the time where you were taken into custody and you were detained? And what was your thinking there? Did you actually believe that they were going to detain you for a long period of time? Or did you think, oh, well, this is all going to kind of get figured out. And, you know, eventually I would be taken home. So, so, uh, no, I never believed. I wouldn't have turned myself in, obviously, because I turned myself in. Every time the police asked me to turn myself in, I had to them. Because I know deep in my heart that I didn't do anything. Why should I run away from the police? Right. You know, and this is like, this is like horrible situation. Like, you know, when you're in a situation where you know you didn't do anything and you are scared that, you know, that you are this is very but I always believe, you know, like the worst thing that could happen to me that they tell me not to leave my country. And I had my peace with that, you know. I was working, I was like trying to make the ends meet, you know, working like sometimes seven days of the week, you know, just. And I told myself in every time, man. And, but that time after 9-11, I did not like, I did not appreciate the two things, the anger of many Americans. You know, I'm saying now people and the government 
And the second thing, I didn't appreciate how far the United States was ready to go outside the law, you know, and uh, in this region. I was not aware of it. I never visited the country. I never applied to visit the country. So this is all crazy. So I'm uh, like thousands of miles away from the United States, but I'm subjected to the law of the United States of America, but not in a good way because I cannot benefit from it. I can only be injured, you know, with the law of the United States of America. So I didn't know any of that. I just thought, if you didn't do anything, you should be afraid of anything. That was my philosophy. And that's why I went to the police. I told myself, and every time they asked me, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of like what you would think as, you know, just us being American citizens, we would think, you know, if I'm not responsible for whatever the crime is, why wouldn't I turn myself in? I have really nothing to hide. Yeah. Right. And the yeah. interest. Yeah. And the interesting and terrible thing about your story was that essentially when you turned yourself in somewhere down the line, you find out that sort of federal laws that apply to citizens, right, don't necessarily actually apply to people that are foreigners, right? Uh, people kind of on the other side of the world, if it pertains to, I guess, American safety or American kind of a, the sense of danger. And so when was it that you actually kind of discovered that for you, the laws actually weren't going to help you? So... This is like, you know, this is like very complicated, like, like it's uh, even for us, they don't understand why this notion that some human beings are not worthy of within the law and some human beings are worthy of being treated within the rule of law. And this is like, because this is a fascist idea. We start with fascism and Nazism that some people are superior to other people. And it I would say, okay, okay, because you were born in Africa, which is, was not my mistake. I didn't decide to be born in Africa. You don't deserve to go to court. We can decide single-handedly that you're guilt, you know, and we don't need like a court. We don't need investigation. We don't need like, a jury, so the, 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 some intelligence agency plays uh, judge, uh, jury, and prosecution in the same person. I never crossed my mind because when I grew up, I watched uh, Married with Children and watched uh, Ali McBeal. Uh, Law and Order. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Law and Order. You know, and uh, and that's what that was my image from America. America is funny and there is a law. I think they had this obsession, like the American, some American age, they have obsession with dictatorships. Like it's like we did the big mistake that we became a democracy. That why why it's making them vulnerable. That's what they really believe because they told me that. So. So they think like, oh, look at those bad ass in the Middle East. If they see like a terrorist, quote unquote, a terrorist is a very loaded word because it's political, it's not criminal term, you know, because you can, in the United States, if you watch the news, in the last days of Trump, Houthi was a terrorist. 
in the first days of uh, of uh, of Biden, there were no more tourist group. This is politics, so, and like you cannot change a murder because a murder is a murder. You know, if you kill someone willingly, you know that's murder, and outside the law, of course, and. Uh, and Terrorism. So they say they if they if this is a terrorist, they take them without court. And this is so so like chilling, chilling because so many you know uh, on many levels. So first, uh, people in this part of the world, they look up to the in Western Europe for the rule of law and the respect of law. And two, dictatorships are not safe. People are in dictatorships. You know, this like f- fantasy that some CIA people and FBI people have that if you don't wear the gloves and if you go down and dirty, that's not good for you. It's not, it's not for anyone. to make America safer because what make America safer is those gloves and those restrictions that put on uh, law enforcement agencies. That's why uh, country ruled by law are more prosperous, are safer, they are more humane, and dictatorships are neither safe, uh, neither prosperous, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I know, Alan, for you, it was kind of like sort of a shock watching the movie, right, to even sort of consider that the government could do something like that. Just just the the cruelty right the the cruelty of the of the soldiers right in the midst of interrogating it's it's as if you know like how do how do they know that when you're giving your testimony that you're not telling the truth right they they don't here's the thing like if if you're uh, they're not obviously being rational logical thinking people of course because they're obviously they're they're abusing their power they want us they want to hear a specific answer right and they're just looking for you know they think that anything you say is uh, not true unless they get it from you in the most cruelest possible way then they think that what they're getting is truth you know and it's just insane to me that uh, we have people who are that I don't know what the word is, not animalistic, like so savage, you know, like on one level, you would think you you want, you know, if you have somebody who is fighting on your side, you want somebody who can be a beast, you know, you want somebody who is an incredible fighter. And sometimes like, okay, there's probably a use for this kind of person, maybe in the battlefield, right? But in an interrogation room or to just uh, try to suss out truth from somebody, right? Like these that kind of a person, that kind of mentality, it's insane what they got away with doing, you know? And I'm speaking of this just from watching the movie, but I am, there's no, even if I think I have a concept of what happened, I don't obviously have a concept. Like you having been there and having experienced for yourself what goes on over there, this is this is the, the realest you know, story you can get of it. Somebody who's watching it, they think they have some conception of like, oh, torture, oh, it's bad, you know, and you feel bad, you know, you're watching the movie, you're reading the book, right? And yeah, that's good that you have empathy, 
but anyone who's reading and seeing this stuff, they don't understand the real reality yeah. of what's what went on over there. Yeah. 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 And Muhammad, what would you want people to understand about what life is like in Guantanamo Bay? What raised before, I think this is like psychology one on one, the crowd mentality uh, yeah. that has nothing to do like with your religion or your background or your, you know, the, the color of your skin. You know, unfortunately, we human beings, we tend to like to do like horrific stuff when, uh, when the right set of circumstances are present. And we've seen this throughout history, you know, like in, in the like national, uh, like in the Nazis, they did it. Nazis are not like coming from another planet. They are like, just like regular German, good Christian, you know? And uh, like in Vietnam, you know what they did to like children and the elderly and so, those are like good so and the other thing is torture is slippery slow you know because the government of the nation of america allowed torture and they wrote and they they wanted to do it in a, I, I even i'm getting disgusted even saying this in a safe way just to inflict like controlled pain on and they have doctors they have psychologists you know who are like who went to school and who learned do no harm and who learned that they should use their profession to help people, not to harm them, because there is no way for a psychotherapist to know whether I'm a good guy or a bad guy. It's not, you know, because that's, it's a very long process to decide, you know, but just he, that he come and assume a bad guy start to use so he said, we can do this in control now. So I spoke to Ranika, one of the torture team, you know, because I saw that she was normally human being. I told her, you are going to kill me. You don't know how much I can take because they put me this very cold drone and they didn't give me anything, you know, and I had so much pain, sciatic nerve, and they stopped my medication. I, I used to suffer from uh, a hypotension. And I had very critical medication and I had also sciatic nerve. They stopped it. They said, you cooperate to give you the medication. You know? And I was doing bad. I told her, you are going to kill me. She said, no, we control everything. I said, you don't know how, how, how much I can take. You don't know that. And uh, she said, yes, we know. And she said, no. In a very similar room, they called the room, because they didn't know how much he can take. And you know, like this, and I could see the guard, they like, very, it's like, you know, it's very easy for me to say, oh, those people are bad people because they're not Muslim. Or for an American person to say, oh, this guy is a Muslim, that's why he's bad. You know, it's very easy to explain. But I don't buy into those things. So. But what I could say that I've seen this in Muslims and I've seen it in 
like American soldiers who are by and large Muslims, you know. Like they used to come to say, no sleep for terrorists. I mean, who, who told you that I was terrorist? How, how did you get that information? And what is it they just keep you just like, you know, awake? And they have like their own like justification, I guess. Like they say, he's a bad guy. They told us he killed people and so. And so either you have to be a philosopher, like very smart person, in order to say, I don't want anything to do with this. Or you are going to be a part of this and it's going to take you down very slowly. You know? yeah. And you're going to do everything. Because the recipe that Donald Trump and his advisor and his doctors put, it's not like working for everyone. The only thing that broke me was when they said they are, are going to take my mother away. So threatening my mother, you know, and they're going to rape her. They insinuated they put her in, on her. And mm. like, so they have like to, uh, to uh, improv, you know, they have to improv because the door is open, you know, like what they call it, this, uh, this uh, Panda, Pandora box. Right. Torture is a Pandora box. And we always need to understand that democracy works, you know, and dictatorship doesn't work. It's frustrating, you know, like frustrating. FBI thought I was a bad guy and they were obsessed with me as a bad guy. Now we know that they're wrong. We know because we have record, we have black and white written since at least 2000, the United States government found out that I was not responsible. Just the other day, uh, I think his name is Duffy, FBI agent, was investigating my role in Millennium Plan. That he bought his ticket and went to Guantanamo and said, this guy has nothing to do with the Millennium Plan. But if you want to pin something on him, do it. But don't, don't ask me again about Millennium Plan. He was so frustrated with me this obsession. So we know that if you are a cop, you don't have an obligation to protect the people in a democracy. And it's, I think that you're a bad guy and I have no evidence, that's okay. But what is not okay is to torture me and to punish me as if it's a foregone conclusion and as I, if I'm already a criminal, it's not up you to, to decide about uh, my guilt. It's right. only by a court of law and yeah. hey, can you tell us about meeting Nancy Hollander and how did that sort of come about and how did you two end up working together? Oh, yes. You know, I was so you know, like, when we came to Guantanamo Bay, when we came to Guantanamo Bay, you know, like, I was so happy because now I'm among the Nazi Americans. I didn't know back then the greatest country in the world, but I learned later on you guys supposed to be the greatest country in the world. At least according to uh, 
according to uh, the character of uh, Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? <laughs> One second. So, and then they came to me one day, I think in 2000, early 2004, or they told me I was designated the enemy, the, I think, enemy combatant, that's what they said. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I didn't know anything about the world. I was in the dark, you know, I went through torture, like. 70 days no sleep. I was sexually assaulted three times. You know, I was beaten. They broke my ribs. This is on record. Everything I'm telling is on record, you know. And I was being like normal human being. They said, you are designated the enemy combatant. So the sentence, I was, uh, like, I, don't, I didn't know what I said, but I was like, I'm not the enemy. You know, this is so hard that someone comes to you and said, you are the enemy of anything, especially if you are not the enemy. If you know you are not the enemy, you didn't do anything. You know, just like gladiator. <laughs> you know, they drag you into the field. They say, you need to fight to death. But you may say, I don't want to fight. <laughs> Why you drag me to the you know, uh, arena? And, uh, and I didn't know what to say. So this is you. I am the enemy of the United I saw for the last two years that has no respect for anything, you know, resembling the rule of law, at least when regards. And this is what's really scary. And then later on, I don't receive any news. What I receive, what my interrogators tell me, that's the news. They came to me, they said, I was going to receive my lawyer. And I was so happy. That was mid-2005, almost four years. So, and I, I want to advise you and your listeners, please, when the police arrest you, try to get a lawyer before four years. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a very bad advice to spend four years or three and a half years in prison and ask for a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I didn't ask for a lawyer. Of course, I was like my family tried for all those years. I to and I received, when I received the, so my window, because I started to write my diaries in 2000, I think, 2003. It was taken away from me. And then I saw now lawyers. This is America. This is the real deal. Like underdog, you know, David versus Goliath, you know, a small lawyer against the most powerful country in the world. And she wins because this is America. Everybody has a chance, you know. And I start writing, writing, and I wrote, I think I wrote, 
her sexy pages, I think, I believe so. Mm-hmm. And then I gave to her, when we met, I was so happy and so, and I was surprised that she knew about me. You know, to her, like, you know, this is like a guy. I mean, the government that people have must be some reason. And she was okay, so. And then I was so happy. And then she told me to keep this, uh, this writing. And then in th- after three months, I wrote her everything, 2005. September 2005, I wrote everything. Government said nothing will be, you know, public. They stifled, they fought tooth and nail for like almost eight years until they allowed a very heavy redacted version of my book. This is like horrible. This is like you are a witness on your own behalf. And they say you cannot say anything because the narrative, you know, is holy. You know, to the United States of America, they told their people, they lied to them. We have you need to go to work to feel safe and to do 4th of July. And you can, if you want to smoke weed, you can do, to go to California, no problem. We have the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And the bad guys was I. So I have to be like sacrificed for like, you know, wrongfully sacrificed. And we know now this was all lie and fake. Not one single person was successfully, you know, uh, successfully prosecuted. You know, they made some prosecution, but they were turned, uh, you know, over because they were like fake. And uh, and uh, so they didn't want this narrative that uh, the American had around many. Africa, the Middle East, they cannot, even they are afraid of me because they could say, this is a liar. He's a terrorist. He's a bad guy. He's a liar. We have the facts, you know, but they don't have any facts. You know, they don't have anything as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, they say in German, when does military bewegt, bleibt the right of their strike, meaning that uh, in war, truth cannot keep up with the pace of the soldiers, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And because truth just cannot keep up because the military needs to, uh, you know, and I mean the military, the war machine, they need a narrative. We are the good guys. We're fighting bad guys. That's like in the movies, right. you know? And yes, that's why it's so Yeah. And it's sort of, it's the American way to kind of put things into a very black and white perspective and narrative where you see kind of good guys versus bad guys. I mean, now it's sort of like when, you know, you go back to like the cold war, right. Where we used to say, well, Russia was the evil empire. Uh, there's this really good documentary called the man who saved the world about Stanislav Petrov, who ended up actually taking us kind of from the brink of nuclear war. And so for Stanislav, when he went to America and he met like Kevin Costner and a bunch of other actors, he said, this is all idiotic. He said, we are not enemies. We're actually the exact same. 
He's like, in the way that you think of yourself as wanting to protect yourselves, he's like, we're actually doing the same thing in Moscow. He's like, this is all sort of idiocy. But in our narrative, it was no, Russia is sort of evil. They're the evil empire. And now when you kind of see the nuance, right, and you kind of see the fact that we're all kind of trying to protect ourselves, really, it makes it so crazy that we're so willing to destroy ourselves or destroy each other and then destroy ourselves in the midst of that. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly complicated, right? I mean, I, I get the necessity of crafting a narrative. It's so this way you could uh, take advantage of um, tribe mentality, right. right? So this way you can get enough people, you know, the masses on your team. This way you, you know, you can do whatever it is your purpose is, right? And even if you know how it works, it's, it's insane that the American people or anyone listening to the podcast all over the world, right, knows or didn't know the kind of cruelty that was happening there at right. Guantanamo. It's not even just Guantanamo. There's other, there's other places like Guantanamo, right? There's, there are other, um, yes. right. And yes, in the Middle East and in Africa. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And you know, the, the worst thing that, you know, that people cannot talk about this anymore because when the leader of the free world is doing this, this so every, every dictator is so hard for Guantanamo because the United States of America cannot say this with with straight face, cannot say you have to respect the rule of law. You know, I remember vividly I was in Guantanamo Bay. In my cell, I was in Camp 5. Right. And uh, I had, I don't know how I heard it, like, I don't know whether it's one of the guards was uh, playing the TV from afar or something. I heard Hillary Clinton, you know, talking, uh, you know, ostensibly about saving uh, a rider. I think his name is Huawei. He was a, he was a Chinese dissident who was, he was blind and he was put in prison. You know, this is horrible, you know. And he was like, he was free and and back then, Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, she stood sensibly saying that China must respect the law and mm -hmm. must abide by the rule of law and not arrest people outside the rule of law. Right. I was listening, I said, are you fucking kidding me? Is right. this real or am I like dreaming? Right. Why don't you look at Guantanamo? What you're doing to people? I mean, I mean, and it's just easy. I would, I could imagine she comes back and said, "But you are a bad guy." And I would come back and said, "But China, I think this guy is a bad guy." Right. So it's neither for you or China to decide who's the bad guy, because the bad guy is decided in, in the independent court of law, independent court of law with very clean procedure, you know, and you know, you stole the tool of power, you know, the tool of power has have to be like, like more aggressive, more inhumane, the more territory you want to control. The United States of America for better or worse is resembling an empire. Right. right. Only an empire can, can kidnap people from outside its borders and put them in prison, you know? Only an empire can do that. And America after 9-11 said, 
The whole planet is game. We can go anywhere we want. That's an empire, you know, the most powerful empire. And, and uh, we know that in the Declaration of Independence, one of the points that were raised by uh, the colony that they say, we want this because we treat our citizens. But the, the British Isles in Europe, and you put them on trial because you know they will always lose because no one knows them, you know. And and I always think this: if you try me in the United States, hundred percent going to get whatever you want to get because I have no peers in the United States. I'm not an American citizen. I have no address. I have no friends. Nobody from that jury could relate to anything I do or I represent. But not one jury, not one person in Mauritania would condemn me ever because they can relate to everything. What did he do? <laughs> you know, and they know. Okay, he was in this mask. He met this guy. But I was also in that mask. I didn't do anything, you know. Right. And so... Right. And it's so interesting because in America, guilt by association is actually one of the worst ways to find somebody guilty. So it's quite interesting that in a time of war, especially as it relates to a foreigner, right, somebody kind of like a foreign national, somebody who's outside of, you know, our territory, we're like, oh, okay, guilt by association works here. We can't use that with our people, but it actually works with everybody else across the world. You know, that's just how life is. We don't need the proof that we would need, let's say, for an American citizen. Yes. And again, this is like fascism. Yeah. But fascism is not good for America. It's not good because it's okay. If you accept it, because I look like the wanted FBI list, you know, okay, that's fine with me. But if you accept that certain human beings could be treated outside of the law, you are like implicitly, implicitly, you are putting yourself at least it could be done in Mauritania if you leave the United States. And we now know that this was only the precursor to violate the rights of American people. You know, and everybody knows that the rights, the civil liberties suffered a lot. And ironically, George W. Bush said after 9-11, that Al-Qaeda is attacked the United States because of what the United States represent, the lifestyle. You know, and I understood democracy and human rights and they will never defeat, defeat us. The first thing that the United States did, they did away with the rule of law when it comes to so-called terror suspects. Right. And that was the biggest win that extremists achieved. Of uh, of the, the with fighting. Yeah. D did you did you find that like there were any people at Guantanamo who weren't? I don't know how to put this. Like uh, who weren't so sadistic, sadistic and severe. Did you encounter anyone who was at least had some kind of moral code? You know, uh, or was it just that everyone just kept getting that same narrative of like, no, this is the bad guy. 
you know and uh that you know they kept rationalizing that you were the bad guy based on just hearing it from their superiors right it's it's like uh every soldier is probably on a need to know basis not everyone has access to all the facts right so i'm sure there are a lot of people who are just like told this is the bad guy so just you know then they treat you as such but was it was anyone there who was actually somewhat if not sympathetic at least normal to you treated you humanely at least so first it's very easy to vilify the other right you know because i know this because this is like universal because the other doesn't look like you doesn't talk like you you know doesn't eat like you mm. so he's different that's a bad sign to be different you know and uh, and uh, uh, so the other thing like uh, so like you have like already the 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 story is complete to the gods the people who tell you that you are a bad guy and you look like i look like a bad in there so i look in every respect i look like a bad guy you know like one day this fbi agent looked at me his name is robert sagle He told me, "You look like a dog. You bark like a dog. Something like that. You must be a dog." I was like, "Wow, what kind of logic is that?" You know, and I, I must confess, I'm very defiant. You know, I used to be very defiant, like because, as you can tell from, like the way I speak, and so that, I, I'm educated and I do understand, like. the rule of law because i lived in germany for a very long time and like and to this day you know he keeps telling people if you interview if you interview him i tell you his name and i can talk to someone who can connect you with him okay i told him my story i was like fuck i don't have to tell you anything i don't owe you to tell you any my story i don't owe to you where i ate Were who my first girlfriend or my first wife? I don't owe to tell you any of that. You owe me to tell me why you kidnapped me and arrested. You have to tell me that. And I kept like this line. And then when they tortured me, I was completely broken. I said, "No more. I tell you everything you want, including lying to please you." But I also was very clear. I told him, "If you torture me, you will talk to someone who is not me." you will talk to someone else you know that you have to understand me i'm not talking to you because you kidnapped me you know and you have to tell me why you arrested me if we if we don't like cross this bridge i will not talk to you in any no and this was like very ballsy to be honest because mm-hmm. there were no lawyers and he kept telling muhammad the rules have changed no more lawyer no more like you know this is all like without filter and so they a lot of the guards when they stay with us because we say there is a saying in egypt they say lies have very short legs 
they cannot go very far, meaning. So, and when the guards start like socializing with me and talking to me, and they start reading, you know, because, you know, they have some access to information. They start, okay, why, what's going on? Why did they take this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, some of them like became my friend, and bring me like movies illegally and bring me like books. And uh, so not all of them, you know, one thing I observed, and I'm not a psychologist, human beings don't like to torture other human beings unless you are a very sick person. You know? And uh, yeah. And so to answer your question, uh, what my observation, Americans by and large are good people, generous people, very humane people, you know, and uh, they love to be good people. You know, they love to be seen as such, you know. They don't like to be bad people. Mm. Yeah, and then, so, Mohamedou, I would also want to ask, I mean, I think this is probably going to be, if not one, if not, like, let's say the most important, one of our most important questions. What was it that helped you get through those 14 years? How did you do it? What? So what was repeat it? the question? Yeah, sure. So what was it that was helpful for you in those 14 years? How did you get through it in terms of how you thought about things, how you thought about life, uh, your faith in Islam? So I really don't know the answer to this question. So, but I can tell you a couple of observations. First, all survivors are very strong because they did survive. Muhammad Gul did not survive. You know, some of the 9-11 like defendant are vegetable, they kaput. You know, some of the other detainees like Al-Qahtan, I know that he is completely kaput. Same time, 63, ISN 63, and I know he's loyal. And he, he lost his mind during torture completely. Mm-hmm. He wasn't 100% uh, healthy before torture, but torture completed him, finished him off. So as to what, so, you know, you know, like, Faith evolves, evolves on personal level and evolves on societal level and evolves on historical level, evolves on all levels, all possible levels. Christian in America are not like Christian in Germany. In, In the Netherlands are nothing like the Southern Baptists. In the United States of America. Muslim, Shia, Sunni, and all the others are not are completely different. So, so when I was a child, my grandmother, my mother taught me that if you good things, good things come to your way. If you do bad things, bad things come to you. And you, you go to heaven, you go do things, you go to hell, you do bad things. 
But Guantanamo shook my belief to the core. Because mm. the equation was not you do good thing, good thing. Good no coffee. Good no coffee. Good no coffee. Smell. Mama, coffee. Good no. So this is like, you know, it's like it was a change, you know, like in my, so then I either I have to completely like lose completely faith, but I did not lose faith. I just like adjusted that maybe my understanding was not the right thing. Maybe, maybe Allah is not like a Delta force saving an American guy who fell in the wilderness of Africa. <laughs> Maybe that's not the way I should see Allah, God. Some people say God, some people say the universe. Whatever you, you want to call it. You know, that entity. So, and I started like to study. I said, but Allah told me in Quran, the first verse in Quran, Iqra, read. First word in Quran, ra, read. Mm. And then I kept just reading, 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 reading. I discovered Americans are just regular people. They're just very self-centered. They think that there is only America and the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. One time, this sergeant, she came to me and said, yeah, you are a nice guy. I want to bring you some music. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, Arabic music. Mm-hmm. She brought me Bosnian music. Mm-hmm. I said, ah, maybe you didn't understand me. I said, yeah, you said Arabic music. I said, yes. I said, this is Bosnian. She said, is there a difference? And, uh, and I would say for better word that this was a very big insult to the Bosnian people, <laughs> you know? And, uh, like that, so they, a lot of them have this, like, they think that the United Kingdom is threatened by the Sharia, that a lot of British people subscribe to the Sharia law, whatever Sharia law means, and uh, and these things, and that I, for the first time, I learned that Jesus Christ was born in Alabama, you know, and uh, it's so much fun, you know, you cannot meet American people without falling in love with them. It's mm-hmm. impossible, you know, just impossible, you know. And uh, I had no grudge. God knows I hold no grudge against them. You know, I never took anything personal, at least, you know, after the first few years. And I decided I forgive everyone, including torture, including people who kidnapped me. Wow. You know, I want them to have good life. No personal. Absolutely. And that's really a lot. Yeah, and it's so amazing that you can actually do that. And I mean, as terrible as it's kind of just awful, it's hard for me to even kind of talk about it. Um, as awful as the experience sort of seems and was, obviously, um, it's pretty amazing that you kind of became this person, that you, you're sort of able not only to forgive, but you're able to kind of take the experience and sort of make it into something special. You're able to kind of put it out there and put it out into the world and say, look, you can still love people despite all of these terrible things that they've done to you. 
Look, you are, I would say one, what you went through. That's what defines your life, you know. It's very hard like to compare any two people because every human being behavior is as unique as their DNA. Mm. So, on November 28th of 2001, and I was sent to Jordan for torture because God forbid the American torture people. And after eight months, in total darkness, the CIA plane came to Jordan and took me. Of course, no briefing. Right. I was handled just like a package. And then when I felt their hands cutting through my clothes with scissors everywhere and putting me in a diaper, it occurred to me at that moment, at least I thought, I wasn't going back to my family. You know, and then those image of like very horrible American prison that I saw in Germany, where people stay the rest of their life in very at that moment, my life in less than a second runs through my head, and I start to regret stuff. So. I tell you what I didn't regret. I didn't regret not being rich. I didn't regret not having slept with that or this girl. I didn't regret I didn't get to marry this girl. I didn't regret I didn't have houses. I didn't regret I didn't get this job or whatever. I regretted one thing. Why wasn't I nicer to people? Good, more better to people. I wanted to be better. And I regret every bad word I said to anyone. And I figured this is what would matter to me when I die, you know? And I decide I need to be good to people because nothing else matters. Because we all, that accurate statement you can say about anyone, you know? Because it's a statement of facts. And, you know, this even matters have even to die like just think about yourself when you break up with someone after one year the only thing you regret is the bad gesture you know you said or said bad words or that's what you regret you don't regret anything else you know that's yeah. why i'm very pensive and i very pensive because of what i went through i try not to be you know accept good to anyone and if that cannot happen I just shut up my mouth and try to go away. Yeah, wow. You know, we have a saying, you know, I mean, I know this is very common in all like, you know, highly developed cultures, but we have a saying here, the if you are a faith, a person of faith, say good things or say nothing. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, essentially, what happens when you're saying bad things, it's like you're, you're also creating bad things. Anytime you're also uh, feeling bad about something or a regret, or something like that, you're creating this uh, negative feeling in your own body. Yeah. And, you know, somebody yes. may, 
yeah, somebody may think they're justified. They can rationalize how their narrative makes sense and all of this. But in the end, all you're doing essentially is, is creating harm. Right. And if you know this, right, then, of course, you know, it, it seems like the, the logical and not even logical, just uh, what feels right is to to be good, to think good, to create good, you know, to want good. Right. 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like also, I think, Mohamedou, from my understanding of what uh, what you've kind of created for yourself afterwards, it seems like for you in, in not forgiving, you know, kind of these people who have obviously harmed you and wronged you in such a serious way, you wouldn't necessarily, you would have allowed it to kind of corrode your spirit or you would have became in some way a kind of a more hateful or more angry person. And it doesn't seem like that's what you wanted to be. Uh. I don't know. I mean, you know, you cannot like forget the pain and the suffering, but it's very important to me to move forward. You know, I wish I had said this saying, but it's not my saying. Like this Canadian Lebanese woman said, I don't forgive you because you deserve. I don't forgive you because you asked for forgive. I, I want to move forward, you know. Mm. Something like that, she says, something like that, you can look it up. And this is a very good thing, exactly. You know, this is not like, oh, we make peace. No, this is like, I'm making peace, single-handedly, you know. Right. Right. And I'm not, I don't need your permission. I don't need anyone's permission. I have to be pure in heart. And I, and I you know, you are a psychologist. I need to justify this. I need to... Uh, to just find this for myself, to convince myself. And I convince myself, absolutely. Because Richard Zuli, Lieutenant Richard Zuli from Chicago, is the one who oversaw torture. Mm -hmm. Richard Zuli now is a very old man. There is no use for me in his suffering. I have no advantage in his suffering. Mm -hmm. I, want to live, I want to be taken care of. Healthcare-wise, everything. I want him to be happy, you know, because happy people, healthy people, are less likely to harm other people, you know, than angry people. And so, so I, actually, I could benefit from that, mm. you know. So there is no benefit for me that uh, people who committed crimes against me you know, suffer. That's so amazing. I mean, so one of the uh, one of the kind of final questions that we want to ask before we wrap up is, what was it like for you to write that letter to Joe Biden about closing Guantanamo Bay? It was, it felt good. It felt very empowering. And mm -hmm. because I truly believe in uh, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. I think Joe Biden is a good guy. And I think Joe Biden suffered. He lost his wife. She was very young. Yeah. He, he, this is not something you know easy to imagine to bear your own son you know and you know going through that suffering and so i hope he understands that you know people in prison suffer a lot those people who are criminals who suffer let alone people who are innocent right 20 years a very long time for an innocent person. One year is a very long time. 
one day is a very long time for an innocent person. And uh, I never understood you know, the pain that my in innocent mother went through when her son was taken away from her. Not because they, they presented he is a criminal. She could say, oh, okay, that's something that painful, but I understand. And your mother, you are still her child, no matter how old you are. You know? And I never understood this until I have my own son. I cannot imagine that the police knocks at my door and say, we're taking him away forever. This is not something I could imagine. And when you watch the movie, we, we shot this scene with my mother at our house where it happened. Oh. As he was praying and I could see her from my rear view mirror until she faded away slowly as I turned right into the other street. And we never saw each other again, ever. That's all I know. I never get to bury her. I never get to uh, do the last prayer. I never get to wash her, nothing. Well, and then, so what was it like for you to work on the movie and to actually see yourself on screen? I mean, uh, come on. Being played by a very hot actor, <laughs> uh, that's good. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm putting on my profile. You know, when I decide to go to those dating sites, uh -huh. uh, what they call it again? Tinder. Tinder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. put him at the profile. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, <That's> <laughs> That's wonderful. So, so, but what was it like actually? What was that? Go ahead. No, what was it like being on no, site and working with them? Yeah, I, I, this is like a work of art. And I kept to myself my opinion. So I only said anything when I was asked. So yeah. and they asked me a lot about the details of how to reconstruct it, what people wore, how they talk, everything. And uh, I coached him a little bit in uh, the local dialect because he had some lines. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. I didn't do a lot, honestly. I was just enjoying men, enjoying like the set and so yeah. Meeting nice people, doing nothing, just watching. I hear you. I like that part at, at the, I don't think this is a spoiler, at the end where you're listening to Bob Dylan and singing along. That was cool. I was like, and, oh, yeah. I love Bob Dylan. Thank yeah. you so much. Actually, that was filmed without my knowledge. <laughs> it was a great scene. I mean, are you, are you okay with it being out there? I don't care. I, I'm I'm a natural clown. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. All right, Alan. I think, Any I think when you spend some time in a prison, you become antisocial, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, and in it's amazing. You don't care much. Yeah, what society thinks, you know, because when that dorsal slams shut behind you, 
you come to realization that you are not that important in the world, that yeah. life goes on without you, you know? Yeah. You know, um, I think that's true. But one of the things that's important is, I mean, I agree with you, right? There's also a saying, you know, some people say, oh, uh, some people think, oh, life doesn't have any meaning. They think, you know, nihilist and all of this. Right. Not that that's what you're saying, but what I'm trying to add here is, you know, sometimes that could be true. Like there's no meaning. Life goes on. But at the same time, what matters is the meaning that we give. Right. And watching you in the movie, especially with the Bob Dylan scene, I actually, you know, I, I like what you're saying, like as a joke, like uh, it's like a, a clown, you know, all of this. But realistically, uh, I feel like that makes you very universal. It was it was cool. I was like, oh, that's the guy. Cool. You know, like as a watcher of the movie. And then at the same time, it's like, oh, singing Bob Dylan, smiling. You know, it's very humanizing. Makes you it's like a it's there's a there's a depth uh, and universality that sort of is displayed there. And it's like you don't think about anything like all these labels, all these rationalizations, all these narratives, whatever we were talking about earlier. So. But that's, I guess, my take. I bet yeah. some people have different takes. But, no, yeah. what's what's really cool about, obviously, what's amazing about you, Mohammed, is that when we're talking about, like, when we're looking at the story on the whole, it could have easily broken somebody down. So if we're looking for inspiration, for me in particular, obviously, where my work as a therapist and working with clients who've been through severe trauma, it's it's really kind of inspiring to be able to even kind of share your story and to say that look at all of this like amazing and sort of amazingly terrible things that this human has been through, and look at how well he's come out at the other end. I mean, he's this wonderful, loving human. He's great father he's a great husband and obviously he's still kind of a clown and can sort of laugh at himself and laugh at the world around him i mean i mean you need to uh life's short you know you cannot like take everything serious because you know what matters most when you spend 20 years you know, in prison, because I spent 20 years, 14 in Guantanamo, one year in outside Guantanamo, and about five years. So when, when you lose 20 years of your life, then you said, okay, I need to focus on what's important. What, what's important is your happiness. Yeah. You know, and people always like ask me, and one of the answers I, I, I give them, so how you survive. I say, when you are in a situation that you didn't choose, try to find the best seat possible. You know, just look around. No one wants to wait on the doctor for so long. Yeah. But you try to find a comfortable place, good seat, and some magazines to read. You know. Yeah. That's that's what you should do everywhere. Just try to find the best seat instead of like panicking. Said I need to go out, but you are not going out. So you need you need to find. And the best seat for me in life is what I to do. Like this guy, one time I was in a very bad situation in Mauritania, very bad. You know, I was denied passport, everything. And this guy called me, called my family. He doesn't tell my I need to talk to Muhammad. I told my nephew, he can tell you what he, he, he needs to tell me. He said, no, it's very important. He wants to talk to you. I told him, I have nothing important in life. 
he, he can tell you. He said he wants to tell you. I said, I have no secret. Talk to him, tell him to tell you. He said, no, he only tell you if you don't take the phone, he doesn't tell you. I said, I'm not taking the phone. And either he tell you or he doesn't tell you. And everybody was shocked because of the lack of curiosity, you know, because I, I'm not about anything and uh, I guess I have much better instinct of the people I should give my time to. That's the point actually. Yeah. You know, you cannot entice me. If I'm not interested in you, you cannot entice me. Absolutely <laughs> not. You know, yeah. I have very good instinct. What's important, you know, because 20 years is enough time to think about what is important in life. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Alan, any final questions for Mohammed before we wrap up? Oh, yes. Um, if we wanted to follow you, uh, follow your work, uh, where, where could we find you? Very easy. Please, you can, uh, you can find me on Twitter. You know, Mohamedou Old. Already you know that. Or you can find me Facebook, like you just write Mohamedou Old Salah. It's written wrongly, S-A-L-A-H-I. Mm-hmm. And I hope you have like your internet site that can do too. And you can write it. I got like Facebook and start slide this. Oh yeah, for sure. And we're also going to include uh, links where to follow you. Oh, awesome. perfect. Okay, yeah. that works. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So yeah, w- uh, when we uh, post up the episode, we're just going to include links everywhere around, like for uh, for all of your handles and all of your obviously websites. Yeah. And so thank, thank you, you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for coming on. This was such an amazing episode, man. Your life is really inspirational. Thank you, and thank you for having me. This is really important to me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon, Mohamedo. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, guys, if you want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. And yeah, get the book. Uh, get the book, uh, the uh, Guantanamo Diary, yeah. and and watch the movie, The Mauritanian. Um, I just recently saw it, and I got to tell you, it's it's chilling. It's chilling. It's dramatic. It's also it's it's also very uh, gripping, engaging. Yeah. Um, if you like Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch is in there. Uh, it's cool. Uh, yeah, good cast. Jodie Foster's best role. Jodie Foster yeah. as Nancy Hollander. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about the movie. So guys, thanks again for watching and, and see you next time.